0: Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be taking care of business right here today. You know, sometimes people have said, well, maybe we ought to use something else as a lead in there rather than the old Bachman-Turner Overdrive. Song Taking Care of Business. But you know, whether you're working a job or if you have your own business or you're a virtual assistant or you're a temp, no matter what it is you're doing work wise, we can kind of frame that as taking care of business at the end of the day. So we're going to stick with that. We're going to answer questions that you, the listeners, have this week. Some of the questions we've got for today include Dan, I'm 54 years young and I like focus and drive. How can I select a path and stick with it? I'm producing variety shows right here in Austin, Texas. How can I pay my performers and still make sure I make money? Dan, I just lost my job. I'm not really sad about it because I'm finally free from a supervisor who tried to bully me. Then he goes on to ask, but I'm not sure what to do next. Are online courses worth the money? I'm considering being a grant writer. I have a PhD in social psychology and a position with the government that I absolutely know I cannot do for 40 more years Dan, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in school earning degrees. I will never use help. Well, you can see the variety of questions we've got to address. If you've got a question, you can go to the 48days.com site and just click on podcast, shoot your question in, be happy to include that in an upcoming show. Well, this is where each week, We scan through the questions that have come in real life questions, not things I dreamed up. I could not dream up the kind of questions that you all have, but uh, these are real life questions. We're going to share them together, unpack them together and learn together. I learn as well as I listen to your questions, hear the real life stories, do a little research and come up with resources that can help us all go to higher levels of success. You know, that's what we want to do. We want to do that. Make no apologies about it. Sometimes I hear people almost apologizing for success that they have. And I think, what's up with that? I mean, really? I hope you're not in an environment where you have to apologize for doing well. Be careful of the kind of people you hang around. I mean, if you're hanging around people who are whining and complaining and blaming and pointing fingers, they, they are not going to share your success very well. But if you're spending time with people who are already successful, they're going to be pulling you up, not down. So be very careful. You know, the quotation I've got for today kind of ties into that. This is a familiar one comes from George Bernard Shaw, who said people are always blaming their circumstances for where they, what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they can't find them, make them. Well, just listen to some of the common conversations today. There's a whole lot of people blaming, expecting someone else to rescue them. Don't let circumstances derail you from a life of purpose, meaning and fulfillment. And again, believe me, the best way to have a promising future is to create it. Don't just hope it's going to show up. Hope things get better. Hope the economy turns around. Hope the right politicians get elected. Nah, hoping, wishing, dreaming, dreaming. Those things are not going to change your life. Create a plan, create the kind of future that you want. Well, you're listening to 48 Days Online Radio. This is Dan Miller, your host. The 48 Days comes from a book I wrote a few years ago 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I do think that is enough time to take a fresh look at where you are. And if you want something different, look at the alternatives, get the advice and opinion of other people. Narrow down your options, do a little bit more research, choose the best one and act. And that is a process you can do in 48 days. Well, Peter from Pennsylvania says, Dan, I love your podcast. Keep up the great work. My question is I lack focus and drive. I'm 54 years young. So I like to think I'm not a job hopper. I've been with my present employer for 13 years and the previous employer for 20 years. The only bad thing is I have no money saved or any extra. I have no real hobby. And if I look at my skill set, it's all over the place. How can I select a path and stick with it to make certain I have given it enough time to grow or fail? How do I get over the fear of starting? My favorite saying is I've had more yesterdays than tomorrow's. So make each day count. Well, Peter, I commend you on taking a new fresh look at where you are you yeah, you're a little bit behind the curve when you've already worked for 33 years out there and don't have a clear sense of what your strongest area of competence is, competence is, what real value you bring to an organization. You know, don't get trapped in just putting in your time and getting a paycheck. You ought to, at any given time, be able to know exactly what your highest marketable skills are, what it is that makes you a great candidate. Otherwise, you're pretty vulnerable to the whims of a company. So do that. Take a fresh look. What are your skills and abilities? Not just what you have the ability to do, but what is it that you do that has the highest value and is also something you really enjoy doing? Number two and a list of three here behind skills and abilities. What are your personality traits? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments do you enjoy most? How do you manage, persuade, and lead? I mean, those are things you need to know about yourself. A lot of people have taken the 48 Days Online Personality Profile. You can check that out, get a lot of information there, and probably see yourself, um, you know, no no matter what, recognize, you know, what are your strongest personality skills? And then number three, what are your values, dreams, and passions? With 33 years in the workplace, you ought to be able to look back and see some real clear patterns start to emerge. What is it that when you're doing it, time just flies by? What is it that puts you in the zone? I mean, these are things that we need to know about ourselves. You need to take a fresh look at that so you don't feel like such a blank slate at 54 years old. And as you discover those things that are really unique about yourself, then you can create a clear focus. Then you can find or create work that really is meaningful, purposeful, and also more profitable than anything you've ever done. I mean, the value of having a little life experience is that you get clearer and clearer about what it is that's unique about you Find that area where you are so good, people can't ignore you. And being so good, people can't ignore you tends to attract money rather than just getting a paycheck as well. Well, be confident you can do that. It's not too late. You want to have that integration of skills and abilities, personality traits, values, dreams, and passions, combine your passion and talent, create an economic model. Boom. It's a done deal. You can have work that you love and work that really does give you a more sense of meaning. And, and also, yeah, it gives you a little cushion financially. So it's not just week to week paycheck. Well, Whitney from Austin, Texas says, Dan, I'm producing my own variety shows here in Austin. I charge $10 at the door and hundred dollars for VIP tables. I have a band and on average 11 performers to pay from the door sales. The venue takes out $200. Then I'm left to split up the money between everyone. I hate to tell performers that I'm not exactly sure what I can pay them because it's out of the door sales. Should I give guarantees or keep splitting the door sales? I would like to sound more professional. Any advice? Well, Whitney, it's, it's really tough to guarantee performers anything. I mean, you can lose your shirt real quickly as a lot of concert and event promoters have done in the past. Golly, they're going to have in, you know, five great bands and they guarantee them $10,000 a piece. And then the total revenue is 35,000 and you're in the whole 10 grand just after paying the performers, let alone other costs. You you don't want to do that. It's a horrible business model. It is much better to have some kind of a split on actual revenue. But now it also is not unreasonable to in having that split set it up. So your performers have the incentive to help get people in the door rather than just show up and play or perform. Now I, I've done this a lot with, uh, with events. You know, I've got an event coming up in, in November. I'll have a lot of big name speakers there and here's how they're going to be compensated. Usually like that, I guarantee those speakers, nothing. And I guarantee them nothing in terms of total revenue percentages. What I do is give them a split of the business they help generate. So if I have somebody come speak on a cruise ship, I'll tell them you got to pay your own way. You got to pay your own room, but you have a link on anything that you're doing. You know, your website, your blog, your podcast or whatever you get people to come and you can get, you know, 50% of the registration fee for people that come showing you as the referral source. Now it can be, however, but I've, I've gone to a lot of events where it's been set up like that for me, where I get 30% maybe of the registration fee. And I've made a lot of money doing that. Or I tell people I'm going to be speaking at this event. If you come, you know, we'll have dinner together. I've done things like that to provide more incentive for people to come, but you want to get your performers involved in getting people in the door, not just showing up and expecting to be paid. I mean, now if if I do an event and it's $797 and they're going to get 30% of that, that's $240. So if they get 50 people to come, that's $12,000. So again, don't just promote it and, you know, don't, don't just allow them to show up with a guarantee of getting paid, build in the incentive for your performers to get people in the door. It sounds like a cool thing that you're doing, but, but just don't get yourself in a position where you can get left holding the bag and the bag is empty. Well, Rob says, Dan, huge fan recommend your books off. And I met you last year at Kent Julian speak at forward bootcamp. My question, my wife is starting a grant writing business. This will take some time. We have a need for immediate income. We have small children and want to continue to have my wife at home with them. One of the options for that immediate income is a virtual call center representative position. We investigated one that did not seem to pass the smell test. They wanted us to pay for training up front and be an independent contractor. However, there do seem to be more legitimate examples out there. Do you have any opinions about these opportunities. They seem to be a good fit for my wife since she did this for a large corporation for almost 10 years and enjoyed it. Thanks. to you again soon. Well, I, yeah, I've got a couple a couple questions here. One is if your wife is starting a grant writing business, I mean, that's not something that takes a long time to get ramped up. What it does take is the promotion so that you make the connections with organizations. So you get those grant writing opportunities. I would say take 30 days and just blitz on that rather than just sticking your toe in the water and just very slowly having that build up, boy, jump right in there where if you write a couple grants, the money will come in where you get a, I'm assuming you're going to do that as a percentage of the money generated, not being paid by the project or being paid by the hour. But that will, that will make, you know, working as a virtual call center representative pale by comparison because usually as a virtual call representative, you are going to be paid hourly and it usually is, you know, eight bucks an hour to do that. So I'm I'm not sure why that looks like a good option. Even in the startup phase, I would just focus on moving into the grant writing business and doing that. Now, as if you really want something on the call representative side, yeah, there's lots of companies out there. Just do your due diligence. No, you should not have to pay for training up front you know, that probably is not a good connection, but there are a lot of companies out there that do use offsite call representatives. I mean, even like, um, JetBlue, I mean, JetBlue airlines. I mean, if you call to make a reservation, you are a hundred percent of the time talking to somebody just working from home. They don't have any in-house big corporate center agents. Everybody works from home. So there are a lot of very legitimate companies that do have positions like that research 30 of those do your due diligence, your research on those to find good opportunities. But again, go back to ramp up the grant writing side. That probably has more real potential than the other. Well, Brian says, Dan, do you have any recommendations for marriage retreat seminars? We have a great marriage, but why not make it better? You've talked about how you and Joanne work on a great marriage. And one of my written goals is to make a good marriage great Thanks for all you do, Brian. Well, Brian, hey, thanks for your, oh, you had a note. P.S. I've enjoyed your work for a long time. Know that you are a smart man. However, you became brilliant in my world when you stated that you make an annual stop at Garrett's in Chicago. I, too, have enjoyed Garrett's for many years. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, Brian lives in, in Tinley Park just outside of Chicago. Joanna and I go to Chicago every. Year Right before Christmas, that's her birthday, December 22nd. So we've always made a big deal out about that. And we, we've been going to Chicago for over 25 years, I guess, in the week before Christmas. And one of our absolute must stops is Garrett's for popcorn. If you've ever been to Garrett's, you, you remember the name. Their popcorn is just an amazing experience. So we do always go there. Now, back to your question what marriage retreats do I recommend? You know, I should be a real expert on that. Joanna and I just this weekend spoke at a church up in Indiana, or so Indiana, I had a great time up there, but we spoke as a kickoff to their marriage conference this entire week. So we love those kind of opportunities. We've invested a lot in our marriage and consider that to be a very much a number one priority for us. Continue to do that. There are married. There are great marriage conferences out there, like Marriage Quest, a marriage boot camp, adore marriage. I the marriage encounter weekend through fam, family focus. I mean, there there's a whole lot of really good ones out there. And now, having said that, Joanne and I don't go to those. There's so much emphasis in those on the things that are wrong in your marriage. It just makes for a long weekend for us. Now this may sound, you know, like I'm teaching things that I don't want to be a learner in And that's not the case at all. I mean, why we read every book that's out there? Last year, Joanne read a book, how pleasing or when, when pleasing others is hurting you. It was a dramatic book for her and profoundly impacted uh, some things in our home. We are constantly reading, but uh, so many of the marriage seminars uh, assume that you have a whole lot wrong in your marriage and it's just hard for us to sit through those. So I'm probably not a good resource for recommending the best out there because we're not active participants in those, even though, yeah, I, I recommend them. And if you're, you're struggling in any way, go, if your marriage is already great, I think there's a lot of ways to just keep making it better that you can do on your own those are the kind of things that we actively do john says dan i greatly appreciate your work a couple of months ago i picked up a 48 days at the library read the first and second chapters realizing the value of the book i returned it to the library purchased it just as i had with dave ramsey's the total money makeover because of you dave ramsey john maxwell john Cuff, and others my family's debt-free including the house and on a path to setting goals as a head of the family, I'm better equipped to lead and encouraging them to pursue dreams and find value in others. If my family gets its house in good order, we'll be in better shape to help others do the same. The mastermind material you gave us last week gives me something else to consider. Thanks, John from Reynoldsburg, Ohio, just outside of Columbus. Well, thanks for your note. Boy, what a, what a great accomplishment. When I hear about these people that are totally debt free, including the house, now, you know, being debt free. Is is one thing if you don't owe on furniture and you don't owe on the big screen TV and don't have credit cards. I mean that in itself is a major accomplishment for most Americans, and I commend you for that. But having the house paid, wow, that is a biggie. That and I that that that's great accomplishment. You are in great shape. Obviously a learner and are continuing uh, now to be an inspiration not only to your own family but to others. Congratulations on all that, John. Here's another John from uh, Monument, Colorado. Dan liked the question about whether one retains more by reading versus listening. While I agree with your answer, I'll have, I'll have to let you know, I listen to all my podcasts, including yours on double speed. I can take in your show in less than a half hour and find the content is no less entertaining or enlightening. In fact, doing it that way helps me to stay focused. <laughs> you know, this is amazing to me. Now, it's easy to do, you know, when you're listening, if you want to increase the speed, you can. There are multiple ways to do that, depending on what device you're using to listen. That drives me crazy. Now, I I mentioned last week that I read a whole lot faster than most people talk. Our brain can process at about 850 words a minute, and you're only going to listen to anybody speaking at about 250. Now, I read somewhere in between there. So I prefer to read rather than listen, but I do not want to listen to somebody at double speed. I mean, it it just, Alvin and the Chipmunks is not my, not my game at all. And even listening to myself at double speed or an increase of 40%, you know, just drives me nuts. If you can do that and take it all in, man, you're fantastic. You're a better man than I, and I commend you on that. Again, uh, my point last week was no matter how it is that you learn, there's not a right, wrong, better, best way. It just use multiple ways to learn and then do it, you know, repetitively. I mean, I like the things that I do listen to. I listen to again and again and again. Now I listen when I'm on the treadmill in the morning. I don't like to read there. It's just too jumpy. It's, it's too difficult to read, I find that I don't walk in a natural gait if I'm reading because I'm holding still. So I want to swing and move while I walk. Well, that doesn't make for good reading. So I always listen in the mornings. This morning I listened to the latest Dave Ramsey Entree Leadership podcast where Chris LeCurto, the host of that, uh, just uh, took questions that have been submitted there. But you know, I listen when I'm working out but then I read every time that I get a chance. Well, John also asks here, he says, is there 40, is there 24 days? <laughs> I just got this. I didn't see this. I misread this. He says, he listens to, my podcast at double speed. So he gets everything, you know, at half the time. So he's wondering if there's a, a 24 days to the work you love group out there. That's hilarious. I didn't see that before a 24 days to the work you love. If you're absorbing the material on half the time, it ought to take 24 days rather than 48. That is great. We ought to start a group like that. You know, I'll suggest that in the 48 days. Dot net. Networking group of where we've got um, well we've got ten thousand eight hundred and seventeen members I got it up on my screener I just happened to see that so we've got almost eleven thousand members there but yeah you know, we need to have somebody with a twenty four days group where they're going to do everything in half the time that that's hilarious that would be great to see well Jason says you know he, here's here's what we ought to have as music leading into Jason's song here. Take this- you'll appreciate this. The old Johnny Paycheck song. Pretty crass sentiment, but something that uh, a lot of you may be thinking out there. Well, here's Jason's question. Jason says, I just lost my job. I'm not really sad about it because I'm finally free from a supervisor who tried to bully me. In fact, it was standing up to her that got me fired. I've been looking for a new job all along, but now things have become more urgent. My biggest problem is that my resume is filled with nothing but entry-level jobs and useless education. I want to return into the car audio field where my passion is. And I was originally planning on putting a great system in my own car and using it as a portfolio for any potential employers. But now that my income is gone, that option is going to be extremely difficult at best. How can I stand out in a way that car audio shops will be impressed enough to hire me? Well, getting a position with a car audio shop, yeah, they're not going to put a whole lot of emphasis on your resume, no matter what it has. Now, if it has that you were, you know, chief engineer at Google, it, it's not gonna, it, it, or if you have a degree in electronics that you got, you know, 20 years ago when you graduated from college, I mean, neither of those are gonna carry a lot of weight. They are gonna want to know, okay, what can you do today? What have you done in the last five years in the field of audio electronics? So you're gonna have to be prepared to convince them now, it doesn't have to be one car where you did an installation, but they're going to want to know now what they're going to likely do is to bring you in and have you work a couple days. You need to volunteer to do that. Tell them you don't have to pay me anything. Just let me come in and just hang around the shop. You give me things to do. Let me show you the work that I can do. We'll do that for one week. And then you decide, if I have value here or not, you need to be really able to jump in the trenches. I mean, I used to have an auto accessories business, so I know what it takes to put in an audio system. I remember the old days. God, I remember one time a crown Vic, it was like a city vehicle. And I was putting in, I was putting in, how was it? It was a three-way combination. I know what it was. It was an audio system. So putting in the sound system, so we had, you know, am MFM cassette, I think at the time, but then it also had a radio mobile radio and CB and it was a monster project because the technology certainly is not what it is today. But, you know, I did that. I'm used to doing things like that myself. I actually enjoyed that. But if I was going to have somebody come in, I would say, Hey, here's the system. You've got three hours. Show me what you can do. So I think you'll get opportunities if you just get out here and talk to people and tell them you're ready to go. You're a player. Yes, you do have great background and you're ready to hang around the shop and show them what you can do. That's still a real hands-on skill and frankly, a real valuable skill. So if you show up at Golly, does Best Buy do installations? I'm not sure Best Buy does installations, but uh, electronic express, what are some of the, there's a whole bunch of places that do car audio installations. You ought to be able to get out and contact eight places tomorrow and find yourself, you know, two or three good opportunities to weigh against each other. While well, you're listening to Dan Miller and the 48 days online radio show, if you got a question, just go to the 48 days link, 48days.com and click on the podcast link and you'll find a little box that comes up there where you can shoot your question in or you can just send it in directly to ask Dan at 48 days.com. Well, Barbara from Nashville says, Dan, are online courses worth the money. I'm considering being a grant writer and have no experience, but love to write. Will being certified or taking an exam, make a difference in getting work in this new field. I've seen arguments on both sides as you will for any kind of academic program or certification training. Yeah, you'll see arguments from both sides, believe me. I'm not sure what's available in online courses for grant writing. What I would encourage you to do, though, is don't be too concerned about being certified or accredited as a grant writer, but make sure you have whatever knowledge you need to make you comfortable that you really can promote yourself as somebody who can get the results done in that arena. Now, here in Nashville, there's an organization called the Center for Nonprofit Management. They have some excellent courses through there, and they're short-term. You know, it may be a one-day seminar on grant writing. I mean, get involved with something like that. Don't commit to something where it's going to take a year for you to get a degree in grant writing. That's not going to be the case. I would envision this as being something where you can take a one- or two-day thing or, you know, a three-week crash course where you meet once a week, something along those lines where you then are up to speed in terms of being a grant writer. I think most of being a good grant writer comes from hands-on experience, just doing it, just pulling it together. I mean, grant writing, it, it, it they're not specific skills that are needed, but they're very complicated forms that have to be complied with. So, Even if you're a grant writer and you were trained in a particular way, you would pull up six opportunities to grant write write grants, and they're going to all require different kind of forms and documentation anyway. So I think you learn best by doing it. Just get out here, get in the game, and you can do it. All right. Steve says, I graduated with my PhD in social psychology in 2010 at 27 years old, but now I'm in a research position with the government that I know wholeheartedly I cannot do for 40 years. I dislike the bureaucracy, the monotony and the toxic environment. Wow. I do enjoy the research process and I am a spreadsheet nerd to the first degree, but I don't feel that I'm doing anything I was called to do. One course of action I've taken is to work tirelessly on personal development through reading podcast and writing. This has helped me understand myself better, but so far my only conclusion is that I'm interested in leading and want to associate with people like you, Dave Ramsey and John Maxwell. I'm hungry for success. That passion burns deep in my stomach and it isn't an ulcer, but I need an outlet for it to shine thoughts. yeah, you need to, if you've got a PhD in social psychology, I mean, you've got a great background and that is, you know, not a hard science. That's a soft skill anyway, which seems like it ought to set you up for things in leading coaching, you know, the consulting training. I mean, those are all things that it seems like you're leaning toward that. So if that is true, I mean, if you look at the things that Dave Ramsey John Maxwell, Dan Meller have done. I mean, we've all developed programs for leading training, coaching, those kind of things. So look at the things that you bring to the table and your background. You could, I mean, John Maxwell has a program right now where you can be one of his endorsed trainers. I mean, you may want to go through that. So then you are promoted as a John Maxwell guy. So you can take his material, go out here and do that or the phd again you've got great credentials to be a candidate for that that may be something you want to explore i'm not totally familiar with it but i I, i've run into probably half a dozen people who are doing that and i encourage them in doing that i mean we have a program to have endorsed 48 days coaches so people come here for our coaching with excellence event you can check that out at 48days.com just click on the live events you'll see the upcoming Coaching with excellence events. I think we've got two more of those this year where people come here, learn how to turn their coaching into a real business. Now we're not hiring people as employees. That's not going to happen, but we help set you up as a 48 days coach where then you can coach and turn that into a significant income. So yeah, you're, you're right on track. I mean, you don't have to be trapped in a government position. Believe me, you got a lot of options Apparently right in front of you there, just get clear on what it is that you would like to do. And even if you want to have a a training consulting position within an organization, so it's a more traditional kind of position. Certainly there's lots of those opportunities out there as well. But first draw that line in the sand, get real clear on what would the idea look like for you a year from now, and then figure out the ways that you're going to get there. And keep in mind, you know, I keep coming back to this same kind of triad, three legged stool. What is your passion? What is your talent? How can you create an economic model? Boom, that's all it takes. Now, a lot of people have the first two of those, they get stuck in that. And I, I'm constantly amazed at the people I run into who, whether they're artists, musicians, performers, writers, all kinds of areas are covered where they know their passion and they recognize what they think is their talent. That's okay. But unless you can create an economic model for that, it just doesn't take you anywhere. Don't pat yourself on the back because you're a songwriter. You're sitting in your you know little home office every day, 10 hours a day, but you haven't generated income in the last three years. That's not a business. That's not a job. That's not a career. It's something else, but it's none of those quit kidding yourself unless you can create an economic model, it doesn't qualify. So uh, make sure that you've got all three legs to the stool. Ben says, Dan, I've been listening to, to your podcast about a guy selling cars. You gave him a lot of ideas for alternative ways to do it. I live in Wisconsin and know in order to sell cars, you must have a dealer's license, which requires a building to inspect the cars. I'd like to sell cars on my own, but I can't afford to purchase a building to get the license. Can I get a license in another state? Can I buy cars at auction in another state? Any ideas for selling cars in Wisconsin would be greatly appreciated. You can share this with the appropriate group on 48days.net if you think it would help. Well, Ben, I remember talking to a guy about selling cars and gave him a whole bunch of different ways that he could do that. And you can as well to get a dealer's license. Now here's the difference in mo- and the- these are state specific requirements. Like I had a dealer license in Kentucky. When we moved to Tennessee, it's no longer valid. I have to have a Tennessee license in Tennessee. Um, it's been a while since I checked, but I think that I can have a wholesale license without having a building or a lot. But that means then that I can't retail cars to anybody. It's only wholesale. So I can go to auto auctions and I can buy, you know, without paying tax and all that, without having to to pay the sales tax when you register a car, which is a big deal if you're just going to flip it, if you buy a $10,000 car and you've got a 10% sales tax in your state, that's another $1,000. Well, if you sell the car then for 11,000, all you've done is recapture your initial investment plus the sales tax. That's not a good business. So obviously you want to have your dealer license to bypass that. You can have a wholesale license in some States without a lot that, but that then requires that you are just wholesaling. So you buy from dealer outlets and you take those directly to other dealers to sell them. If you want to retail cars, then yeah, you do have to have a retail license. And I think virtually every state at this point requires you to have a building and a lot. I mean, I know in Kentucky you had to have, I forget how many, it was like eh, 2,000 square feet. I think it was 2,000 square feet of graveled or paved space. You have to have a building that is at least 200 square feet or something and a sign that has at least nine inch letters. I mean, it gets very specific in what you have to have. If you can't justify doing all of that, then you've got a couple options. One is to just as a private individual sell a few cars a year. Now you can do this. Most states, it's not going to raise any red flags if you sell three or four cars a year. So if you have three or four cars in your name and three or four cars in your wife's name, I mean, all of a sudden you're up to eight or 10 already, you know, which could be a pretty significant, a boost to your income. Just doing that. Um, I, I do, I do a lot of that. I go through a lot of cars just because I enjoy the process. I do at this point, usually get them titled in my name, which means I pay the sales tax. Then if I drive from something for six months and flip it, it's still not a big deal. If I really do want to flip something or just give it to somebody, you know, I'll go out on a Saturday just looking at things on Craigslist or eBay, buy a car and just ask the person to sign the title off and not fill my name in. So I just have an open title on it until I sell it or give it to the next person. So you can do that. The other option is to work with an established dealer. I've got a couple dealer friends here where I could do as many cars as I want to just using their license where I can go to an auto auction, a, a wholesale auto auction, buy a car using their name, run a dealer plate on it and then sell it when I want to and maybe give them $200 just for handling the transaction. So you can build in a little cost like that reasonably in working with an established dealer. And there's a lot of dealers out here, small dealers that allow you to do that. They may even allow you to buy a car, put it on their lot where you get the exposure of being on their lot until it sells. And then you work out some kind of a split on the profit that you get. So there's a lot of ways to do that. You can start with what you've got without investing to have your own lot and, and, um, you know, all the permits and, and license, licensing and insurance that you have to carry as a dealer that may be a little over the top as you're just getting started but you'll probably want to work up to that pretty quickly i had a friend just this last week who called me Uh, he lives in a subdivision i live out here in the country and he asked if i'd consider letting him you know front four or five cars out here on my property where he could send people out here. And then he said, you know, if I sold them, he'd split the profit. Well, I don't want to do that. Now, trust me, it gets my attention because I I love those kind of ideas, but I don't want to do that. I I don't want to annoy the neighbors by having cars parked out here in the front yard, you know, in this kind of a uh, area where we are, it's certainly not set up for that. It'd be pushing the limits in terms of zoning where I am. But uh, I've always thought that I'd love to have a place There are so many vacant car lots right now. And I still, you know, my heart increases, my pulse rate goes up every time I pass one because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I could have three Ferraris and a Porsche sitting there. Uh, Anyway, I'd love to do that, but I'd love to have a lot and just allow people to come and just park their cars there. You know, a lot of places, I mean, if you park a car in some big Kmart parking lot out here. I mean, you're going to have a ticket on that thing in about 30 minutes. We're going to tow this car. You can't do this. This is illegal, which always drives me crazy. I think, are you kidding me? I mean, there's nobody coming into your store. What if we had another hundred people a week that stopped here and by being stopped here would maybe see the front of your store and come on in anyway? But they just don't think that way. Everybody is so liability gun shy and afraid somebody's going to trip on a stone and then sue the store because they own the lot. I mean, it's nuts out there. We're such a litigious society. I wish we could go back to the old days of saying, Hey, park your car here. Pay me 25 bucks to park your car here for a week. If I have 10 cars parked here, I get 250 bucks rock and roll deal directly with the buyer. I still think there ought to be ways to do that. I'd love to help some people set that up. Well, let me get off my high horse here. Megan says, Dan, I'm 21 years old. I've been in college since 2009. I've finished up in my basic core classes needed for every major, but I have had to change my major many times. I always thought I'd go to medical in the medical field, but so many other things are also interesting to me. I feel like I should be decided on my major by now, but I'm looking for your help. Is there an aptitude test that you offer that might help me think more critically about what I want to do with my life? I don't want to spend the rest of my life in school and earning degrees. I'll never use help. Yeah. Megan, my advice would be to stop going to school now. Don't go to school, just fishing around and thinking that maybe you'll figure out something that appeals to you. I'd encourage you to jump in this thing we call real life out here. And in working in a couple different areas, it'll help you clarify. And then you can figure out something that you really enjoy. And then maybe go back to school with a clear focus and knock it out in a very short period of time to get any degree that in fact you might need. I don't think school is a good time to just spend time, just experiment with a whole lot of different coursework. You can do that by going to the library, do that by volunteering to show up at a couple different kind of industries, check out things like vocation, vacation, a site that is a really cool site where you can pay for an opportunity to go spend a week with somebody in a business to decide, is that something you would enjoy or not? But I think there are a whole lot more time and cost efficient methods for coming up with a clear focus in your life than to hang around a college campus paying tuition and going through schools at a sna or going through classes at a snail's pace. So yeah, I'm just not sure there's justification for staying there. Now, if you want to just get it out of the way, cause you, you know, you're going to go into business for yourself or something anyway, I mean, just look for the quickest way out, take some of these courses, compile them together. And if it's a degree in business, which it often is, or in communications, just find the quickest way out, get it behind you, but don't stay there indefinitely trying just to hope something comes to the top in terms of an interest where you then will get a degree in that chances are two years working in that area, you're not going to enjoy it anyway. I mean, that's why we know that 80% of college graduates five years after graduation are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. It's not a place to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. It's a place to get a degree as quickly as you can, then go out, get in real life and figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. That's the way it works. Jay says, Dan, this is just kind of a heads up here, which I appreciate. I've been meaning to suggest to you. So it's not specific to the mastermind book. I have a Kindle reader and it would be really great if you'd release eBooks in Moby or EPUB format. If you're not familiar with e-readers, eBooks in an e-reader format work much better than PDF files. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks for your, your point. Your point is well taken. I turn out so much content and we have a lot of things that are not available any place except on a 48 days site. Now I know that's really short sighted and and we ought to get them out there in a whole lot of different formats and all that. It has to do a lot with just the quantity and the instant success we seem to have with anything that we release. I agree totally. And, And I've already sent your note on to our web team because we really do need to pay attention to that and to be getting those out there in a broader array of formats than what we do. You know, you know, I have people say, you know, are, are, is this available on Amazon? Is this available in Barnes and Noble? You know, well, no, you know, frankly, there there's a lot of things that we have that are only available through our 48days.com store. I don't by any means mean to be, you know, egotistical or selfish about that. But it's just, we've had a lot of success with that. We have a pretty large listening and reading, reading audience at this point. And so a lot of things are just for our own community. Um, If we were really pushing to get into Afghanistan and Norway and Sweden, now again, we've, we've got listeners and readers in all those areas, but I'm not picking on those, but I'm just saying uh, when, when things are working well, it's, sometimes challenging to slow down and do just development work. That seems to be slow. But what you're talking about is, is not a big deal and yeah, we need to do that. Well, let me grab a couple more here. Pat says, Dan, I just started my window cleaning business. I'm getting discouraged because door to door business sales and flyers to residential customers have yet to bear any results. What can I do to drum up business and actually get some income coming in It's very stressful. Pat, what you're doing is a very admirable, legitimate business, window cleaning business. But if if you go out and you go up one street where you talk to 30 businesses, if you don't get eight or 10 of them to agree to have you clean their windows, then you need to look at what is it about my presentation that is not appealing to them? I mean, that's all we're talking about. We're not talking about being in a recession. The economy is bad. Nothing. We know businesses need clean windows. It's, it's not difficult to make a case for that. They recognize that before you walk in the door. So you have three areas to look at here, service, quality, and price. But now when you walk in, assuming that you, are going to provide good service, good quality work. Your price is reasonable. You've already checked those out. Then really what it comes down to is you are in essence looking for many jobs. Now you're not walking in saying, please hire me. But we know in the interview process, the hiring decision is usually made in the first 10 to 30 seconds of an interaction. The same thing is true here. Ultimately, when somebody hires a person for a position, they're saying, we like this person. They're fun to be around. We want them to be part of our team. The same things are being asked when you walk in with a flyer. I mean, I had a kid walk in my office one time a couple years ago and he said, hey, would you be interested in having me pick up your dry cleaning? What I pick up on Tuesday, I bring back on Thursday, Thursday to Tuesday, and so on. Cost you the same thing you're paying now, You know, I've got it worked out with the dry cleaners where they compensate me. And I said, yeah, now that, that kid not only takes care of our dry cleaning, but he's become an amazing friend. He and his entire family, he's somebody we really like being around. I would want, I encourage you to look at that. Why is it that people don't want you on their team? Do you need to dress up a little more? Do you need to have a more professional looking flyer? than what you have. Is there something about your personal interaction? Are you energetic? Do you look the people right in the eye? Do you know the six ways to make people like you from Dale Carnegie's book, how to win friends and influence people? Those are things that will allow you to get window washing opportunities immediately. Those are the kind of things that will stop you. In fact, if you have not looked at those closely, But that's what you, that's what you need to look at. It's a great business. You ought to be able to go out here. There are not that many people competing for that kind of business. Joanna and I were eating lunch uh, just the other day in a quaint little restaurant in a town we had driven into that we'd never been at before. And while we were there, guy came down the street whistling, carrying his bucket and a couple of squeegees, boom, did the Did the windows there. It was obviously an ongoing, he didn't come in first. It was obviously an ongoing relationship. Came in, the lady handed him a check. He went next door. We watched him the entire time we were eating. We were there for about an hour and a half, ended up talking to the lady running the little place where we were. But we watched the guy. He never left our sight because he was doing so many windows right in that one little area. That's the kind of thing that you want to grab and lock in. Man, you can do it. Good stuff. Well, this is Dan Miller. Hey, you've been listening to the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being part of the 48 Days community. Jump in the 48days.net community. A lot of exciting things happening over there. Check out our live events. We'd love to meet you here in purpose. Thanks for being part of this community that is finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. Don't settle for less. Life is too short.